Kia ora whanau and welcome back to an episode of Ngahere Talks. It's been a while since we've been here on the podcast and I'm pretty stoked to be here in Pōneke in Wellington at Karaka Cafe down at, at Wharewaka down at the waterfront with um, a pretty incredible individual, someone who I'm looking forward to getting to know. We've kind of only known each other through probably LinkedIn and Instagram and stuff like that. Um, but I'm here with Peter Barrett. Kia ora, Peter. Kia ora. Peter is um, amongst many things the founder and CEO of a charity called Shoebox Christmas. He's also uh, a product, digital product owner at BNZ, which we'll talk a bit more about how cool that is. Um, and a really cool accolade against his name that he'll never really talk about is that he won the local hero Kiwi Bank New Zealander of the Year Award a couple of years ago alongside Mike King, is that right? Yeah, so welcome to the show, Ehoa. So choice to have you here. Why don't you just kick off by uh, doing your own little mahi? Yeah, cool. Kia ora. Um, well, tōtahi, yeah, uh, uh, Thank you for having me along. Um, hi, and tēnā koe, uh, Karaka Cafe. It's beautiful. Kia ora for the coffees. Um, and I, ko wai au, ko tairua te maunga, ko taki te awa. Uh, ko Kapiti te Motere, ko Rotirangi te Moana, uh, ko Ngati Raukoa ki te Tonga, uh, ko Tiatiawa ki Fakurungotai, ko Ngati Torangatira hoki ngā iwi, uh, ai, ko John Barrett toku papa, ko Susan Barrett toku mama, uh, ko uh, Peter Barrett toku ingoa. Uh, yeah, so I'm Peter, um, and yeah, I guess my, uh, my the portai that I wear are a few in the for the um, for for this quarter we'll probably talk about the shoebox Christmas stuff. Um, yeah, like you said, the 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 BNZ portai, the digital product owner, um, and. I'll, I'll talk about whatever other ports I... Whatever uh, other what, stuff, yeah, eh? goes. You also so. have an awesome podcast. I've listened to a few episodes called Paperback Gorillas. Yeah, is that yeah, right? Yeah, which yeah. is really cool, really um, some deep and thoughtful, meaningful corridor going on in there, which is yeah. choice. But um, maybe just to warm up a little bit, can you tell us about one of your most embarrassing moments? Ooh, <laughs> on the fly, that one, eh? Um... I feel like it should be something real, real silly, but my most embarrassing moments are actually like getting up to court it all Māori and getting it wrong. Um, and that's not really the, the purpose of that question. I know it's not, it's not a warm up, that's a tino hohonu uh, yeah, subject. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, a, um, that's the most embarrassment that I feel, I think. Um, mm. Or when I, when I can't get into a court it all into real Māori that I want to be able to and that I think I should be able to get into. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, that's not really embarrassment, that's um, colonisation, but <laughs> that's... Uh, well, while we're at it, tell me a little <laughs> bit about your te reo Māori journey. Oh. Where are you at with it now and, and how has it been for you? Yeah. Um, so first, and I have to... Um, I'll carry on the, the kōrero and whakaro from, um, from our, our rangatira, Stacey Morrison, who, you know, kind of um, always points out that you don't, you know... Te reo Māori is not the measure of, of your Māori tanga. Um, so I shouldn't feel embarrassed at not being able to speak te reo Māori, but I do, and that's my own thing. Also, colonisation. Mm. Um, but anyway, where I'm at. Uh, so I so I grew up in Ōtaki um, until I was 18 and moved down here for, for uni. And there's heaps of te reo Māori in Ōtaki. You know, it's a beautiful... Yeah, yeah, I uh, love that. ...beautiful focal point of te reo Māori, and, and the revitalisation has been going on there for, for ages. So... Um, so we're lucky enough to be pretty far down that, that path, which is choice. Um, 
but I didn't I didn't um, speak much Te Reo Māori. We had little bits and pieces at, at home, but um, I didn't start learning until three or four years ago, mm. four years ago probably. Wow. Um, so uh, started at Te Wanangorokoa with one of their, their courses, the um, Huia Te Reo um, course. Uh, and then I'm studying at the moment at Te Wananga o Aotearoa, um, doing Te Reo Nakitanga, um, which is the first full immersion um, paper or course wow. or, or level that I've that I've done, and that's um, you know that's pretty pretty intimidating a lot of the time. Um, but I know it's an awesome learning environment mm. as well. Like there's you know um, people talk about imposter syndrome and um, and being uncomfortable um, mm. to learn and grow, right? And that's what that's what that is. Um, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. I've, I like I feel like imposter syndrome is a is something that I f- that I experience a lot when it comes to te reo Māori, um, and that's a nice name and label for it. But I think all that, that it, all that that really is is me knowing that I'm not, or thinking that I'm not where I want to be yet. Mm. Um, you know, and I want to be at the point where I can call it all Māori comfortably and not be, you know, oh how do I, oh how am I going to respond to that? How am I going to say mm. that? What is the word for that? Um, you know, and I I know I want to be there, but I'm not there, and so mm. that gap between here and there. That's the imposter syndrome, but right, that's me going like I feel uncomfortable because I don't think I'm where I should be. Yeah, uh, totally. but that's also just where the learning happens. Yeah. So, so the more sometimes it can I be am. a little bit of ego that gets in yeah, there for oh, us for too, sure. a bit of pride, not used to being not good at Absolutely. something. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Not used to being the one in the room who doesn't know how to do the thing, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Um, exactly. And you've got to get over that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just and you've also got to realise that that is just learning. Like yeah. That's yeah. Just, that's the prerequisite for learning, feeling yeah. uncomfortable. So you're also a student and you're also a dad, two young kids. Mm. Mate, how do you fit it all in? <laughs> um, by getting up pretty early in the morning. So yeah. I, I get up uh, between 4.30 and 5 most mornings and do my do my little morning routine, which is um, you know, coffee, obviously. Start mm-hmm. with a coffee. Um, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Uh, yeah, do my little, my little meditation and then I'll do some reading and then I'll do my Māori and then I'll do my, my shoebox Christmas mahi. And then the kids will be up and so then it's... Far no time, pretty much from them. Yeah, yeah, mean. Yeah, so it's, I I, mean, it's I, all stuff that I enjoy doing. So. Yeah, I did notice that you had a bit of a corridor around mental health being important to you. Mm. Yeah, what does that mean for you? Yeah, so I mean, probably on just aligns to that pretty well. Like for mm. me, my mental health is is really only preserved by doing the things that make me happy. Mm. Um, and so I've um, made a pretty pretty proactive effort at making sure I'm doing the things that make me happy. Um, and so that does mean things like, you know, shoebox Christmas, um, reading the books that I want to read, writing the writing the books that I want to write, mm. um, making the music I want to make, raising the kids that I want to raise, the way that, that I want to raise them and the way that I think will, will do them uh, justice and serve them well. And so that means getting up a bit earlier, right? So, yes. so I, I'll do that because I know it preserves my mental health. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm, and I'm kind of, Lucky in a way that I that I know that that's a necessity um, because I've you know experienced myself what it's like when that's not in place and how yeah how, how, yeah how, how you know how how sad and how what dark. What made it can you get. what made you like was there a turning point that made you realise that you had to uh, make some changes? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I had a car accident when I was twenty one, and um, and uh, a, a wahine passed away in that car accident, so I had um, oh. you know I had to had to do some pretty uh, intensive work at, at wow. staying staying good and staying mm. afloat. Um, and so that, I think, then just coupled with, you know, seeing 
uh, enough whānau and friends struggle with their own mental health mm. um, to, to know that that's just something that you have to work at. Yeah. Um, and it's not like after my car accident, I knew, all right, I now need to do this, that, and that. Mm. You know, that was a 10-year process probably of going, yeah. all right, what's the stuff that keeps me sane and I'm going to prioritise that stuff. Yeah. Mean, oh, man, I feel like this corridor could go in a hundred <laughs> different ways. Oh, that's amazing. And a profound, just something. I was in a, I was in a car crash myself when I was about 19. Yep. But I don't. Actually, to this day, I don't know if there were fatalities. There were some people that were pretty bad, um, but we never got any updates. But it is something that impacts you pretty heavily, Mm. eh? Yeah. Anyway, I am real keen to hear about Shoebox Christmas. Yeah, cool. Uh, It sounds real cool. What I've looked into sounds awesome, but why don't you just give us a little bit of cordial about what Shoebox Christmas is and then, like, kind of how you got into it. Yeah, cool. Um, So, the, I mean, the kaupapa is giving... Um, Christmas gifts to tamariki and rangatahi in need so um, working with uh, low decile schools and organisations like uh, Women's Refuge and all of the, the um, variations of Women's Refuge mm. um, grandparents raising grandchildren, a bunch of different organisations who work directly with those whānau and those, those tamariki so um, it's really as simple a, a, a concept as I connect with those um, those organisations and those tamariki and then I will connect, say you, if you were to, to sign up to help, I would connect you with one of those um, one of those children who needs that, that Christmas gift who wouldn't receive it otherwise. Um, and a little bit of information about them, so you know their age, their gender, maybe something that, that they're into, like something about them so that you can give them a, a, a thoughtful and meaningful cool. uh, koha that's going to yeah. actually um, create a positive experience for them. Uh, and then you, and I, and I tell you how to get that to them, you know, it's that works differently in different places but mm. um, it's really as simple as that and the the point of it is is really just to give that that child a positive experience right yeah, so cool. based on the the understanding that for for children in those situations and low socioeconomic situations the the more positive experiences they receive the the more likely they are to make positive decisions later in life and and they need that that offsetting right like the a lot of those those um Tamariki and those those whānau were surrounded by things that are going to influence them the other way mm. and are going to influence them to make um, choices that are going to affect them negatively down the line. And so the the hope is and the purposes uh, those positive experiences they receive are going to actually offset that a little bit. Mm. Um, and that's the whole point of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's been really interesting to 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 work through because I mean I I started in. 2014 with with um, Glenview Primary School out in out in Cannons Creek, and there were 80 kids there, and I kind of you know got it up and running and thought, yeah, cool, this this makes sense, and, and mm. I can help make this happen for those kids. Um, and then there were more people who signed up wanting to help than there were kids at the school. So I was like, oh, okay, well, Mean. choice. Well, like I can go out to another kutter next yeah, year yeah, and, and yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll expand it. And so did that. And then that same thing happened every year. And so I kind of realised then like this is actually a big um, there's a big gap in awareness of the gifters, the people who are doing the giving um, around this need. You know, mm. like the, the fact a lot of them were, were realising for the first time after I was going and telling their story and, 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 and kind of uh, promoting the kaupapa, there were a lot of like, oh, what, there's kids down there that don't receive Christmas presents. Mm. You know, like that, that gap in, in understanding was big. And so I could work to address that and, yeah, yeah. and actually 
give something, get something for those kids as well. So, um, so last year there were 64 schools, I think, in Te Whanganui Atara. Schools and, and kura, kohanga, yeah, um, yeah. daycares, different, not daycares, but different, mm. um, different organisations. Um, and I think uh, nearly 6,000 uh, tamariki who, who received koha received wow. gifts so it's it's growing a lot and, and mm. like I was saying earlier like I've kind of helped get it up and running in a few different different rohe um, but I've reached the the point where like I'm now the the ceiling of of how the project can grow and how it can reach more tamariki yeah. who, who will be benefited by it so this year the um, I'm changing the model a little bit to make well a lot um so that there are a, we're going to pilot it in Porirua, and this is probably the first time I'm going into detail on it. So this is one of those ones where you go, all right, I'm, the co yeah, yeah, is yeah, committed yeah. now. It's uh, it's locked in. Um, it's the it. So yeah, so we'll have a group of um, a pilot group of rangatahi who will run their own smaller projects of say two or three uh, schools, and through the course of running the project, we'll um, guide and coach them and mentor them in the. The skills they need to run the project and then a bunch of other skills as well the outcome being or the impact being that they finish up that that year with transferable skills that they can then take out into the workforce or into wherever they want to go maybe mm. they want to just start up a, a social enterprise themselves whatever it might be but they'll have the skills to do that they'll have the um the the empowerment the confidence the the resilience um and yeah, and the ability to actually take that and transfer it out into other, other kopapa. So, uh, I'm pretty excited about that because it means that the project can scale. Firstly, to yeah, make that yeah, first yeah. outcome of of those tamariki who need those koha being being um, given those positive experiences, but it also turns the whole the whole shoebox Christmas kopapa into a waka that those rangatahi can can get on board and yeah, have, awesome. um, and, and 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 step off with a whole bunch of improved. Uh, Employment opportunities and and intergenerational impact. Like yeah, that's yeah. the kind of that's the new skills, eh? New yeah. ways to look at things. Yeah, yeah. awesome. And that, um, like the yeah, those those kind of five core things. I think of of empowerment, and that one stems from um, actually from the podcast. Like all those successful Maori people who I've talked to, mm. um, and when I say successful, like we're saying before, like I mean just that they are thriving and they're enjoying yeah, their yeah. life, right? Living the life they want to live. Yeah. It's not about they have a salary of X, or you know, they've yeah. got this job or title that that whatever irrelevant. success means to them. Exactly. Eh? Yeah. Um, that nearly all of them, when I've asked them, like, what what is the one question that I try to ask each of those manuhiri is uh, in a parallel universe where you haven't got to this point where you're living the life that you love, mm. like, what's the difference? Like, what what didn't happen for you, yeah, to, for yeah. you to not get there? And it's nearly always something around empowerment, like it's mm. about a mentor or a um, some person or something that has said to them, you you have the ability to do this thing. Awesome. Um, and so that's kind of the starting point for this, this shoebox Christmas rangatahi mm. lead thing. It's like actually empowering them to do that. Then there's a bunch of downstream things like you then need to have the confidence to go, okay, cool, like I've got the empowerment, but um, I need to take that first step, right? Mm. I need to try it. Um, yeah, so you yeah. need the confidence. Then you need the resilience to be able to go, oh man, when that first hurdle comes up, because it will, there'll be something that will block me. Yeah. Like I'm going to be okay to solve that challenge. Yeah. Um, and then, and so that's them, that's about getting them sorted to be able to do that mahi and for them to be good for themselves. Um, and then there's the, how do you transfer, uh, transfer that, that ability of your own 
uh, into another context, mm. and that's about the start of that intergenerational stuff. So yeah, yeah, you then yeah. go, okay, cool. Like now, now other people can see me doing this mahi. I'm out here in the world, you know, yeah, yeah. using my empowered, uh, upskilled self to do this stuff. Mm. And then you get into the like the last the last step on that is. Um, being aware of the impact that you can make mm. as, a, as a rangatahi, as anybody, and this is true for, for Pākeke, for whoever, um, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between being out there in the world and doing mahi that, that inspires and empowers others and knowing that you're capable of doing that. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of us who, who do mahi out, and, you know, especially for Māori who are out there doing things, um, it's important for us to realise that we are role models mm. and to know how to leverage that position as a role model. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know that, like this, that's mm. what this cope up is. Yeah, like yeah, you're doing totally. that with, with this platform. But um, like the last step in that for these rangatahi will be how do you now go and use that um, ability and that, that position that you now have to really create some intergenerational impact to, yeah, to, yeah. to be able to raise your children in a way that they can do the same. Yeah, awesome. Um, and so that's like, that's the... the the purpose of it that's uh, kind of I've, I view it like a awa and there's um you know there's there's those rangatahi and there's me at this point here and then there's my mokopuna and their mokopuna down there right and I want that um those last two steps that transferability and the um the ability to to have to know that I'm a role model and to know how to leverage that role modelness um to actually affect my mokopuna and yeah. their mokopuna down the road why is that so important awa. to you Peter uh I think because, I mean, I, I know that we don't all get the opportunity and the privilege to thrive, right? Mm. It shouldn't be a privilege, but it feels like a privilege. Yeah, totally. A lot of us as Māori especially don't get to that point and a lot of us don't realise that we have the ability to help others get to that point. Mm. Um, and I mean, I think because we, it, it's... It's our whanau and it's our, our brothers and our sisters and our aunties and our cousins who um, who are impacted when we don't get there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I'm thinking about my mokopuna because I've seen people on my my line of, of, of whakapapa not be good. Mm. Um, yeah. And I don't want that for them. Yeah. But it's hard for me to to address that. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll do whatever I can on that. Um, on that layer, but it's easier for me to have an impact downstream. Um, yeah. It's yeah. pretty amazing to hear, like, from on the outside looking in a Christmas gift for kids, mm. but to unpack what actually is behind it and the direction that it's moving in. I think we were saying something along the lines earlier where you, it's, what it is now is not what you started, what mm. you set out to do, eh? Yeah, but it's evolved yeah. over time, and it's in the stepping out and starting to do it that it starts to take shape. Yeah. And that's, I mean... Like the the core purpose has always stayed the same, right? Like yeah, so, yeah. so it's always been about creating a positive experience for those tamariki, knowing that that's going to help them make mm. positive decisions later. But the way we did that uh, has changed massively yeah, yeah. from from that first first year with with Glenview Primary School. I mean, that was a, a spreadsheet and Facebook Messenger, and you know, drop the drop the the presents off at um you know at uh I think it was at at my office at work, and you know, and I'll drive them out to the school. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And then over the over the years, like. Once we got to about three thousand gifts, it was like oh, I can't really do that anymore. Um, so I had to change the co- change, change the model completely, um, but stay true to that original co-papa of mm-hmm. what am I trying to do here? And it was yeah. creating this positive. Experience. And that's such a cool lesson, man. I think for any kind of entrepreneur mm. or someone that wants to make an impact, like 
you got to stay true to why, to the purpose yep. behind what you're doing, because and because what you actually do is likely going to change. Hard out. And yep. sometimes you won't even be able to see it when mm. you first start out. And if you get too caught up in the what you do, mm. uh, sometimes it can kind of, I guess, hinder your growth. Can Definitely. hinder, I guess, the way that people interact with you. But if you stay open to, there's lots of different ways to achieve the overall purpose mm. and outcome. Mate, there's so many, so many different opportunities open up to you. I think yeah. over time, yeah. And that was that's always been real interesting with the shoebox Christmas co because there's kind of two, um, kind of two users in that in that model. There's the, mm. the tamariki, obviously, and the schools that they're a part of, and that. And then there's the gifter, the the volunteer donating that that koha or the fakar or that gift. Yeah. And so, it's been really um, important to me to make sure that I'm staying true to that that those tamariki and their outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes that's actually meant a less mean experience for the for the gifter. Yeah. Um, and that tension, you know, I mean, I try to. It's important for the for the gifter and the experience of them to be really good because mm. you know they're the ones who are who are doing the mahi and they're going to sign up again to do it next year and tell their friends about it and, and all of that. But the main purpose is making a positive experience for these tamariki. Mm. So sometimes it has meant that, you know, people have had to drop out and go, oh, I can't do this because yeah, yeah, the way yeah. you're running it now is doesn't doesn't work for me. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, yeah. All good. Okay, all good. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, all good. Yeah. that's up to you. That's like, this isn't actually designed for you. Like, it needs you, but it's designed yeah, yeah. for these tamariki. Yeah. Um, oh, I feel like this is a really cool segue into human-centered design. Mm. Just that statement right there, which is one of the other things I wanted to unpack from you. A little bit conscious of time as well, and our next hui, but I really want to talk about this topic with you too. So human-centered design is something that you are passionate about Mm. as a person, right? It's also part of your role at BNZ. Mm. But what, I mean, what even is human-centered design and how do you use it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, human-centered design is like, I mean, it's really as simple as building things, understanding the people that you're making things for well enough to build the right thing for them, right? Like, mm. and, and however you do, there's a bunch of different ways to do that, but it's about, um, you know, empathizing with those people, customers, users, you know, tamariki, whatever, um, and making sure that they're involved in the building process right into the point of, um, uh, for the for the purpose of building a thing that they actually, the thing that they actually need and want. Yeah, yeah. And that's not as easy as it sounds because people, you know, people will be able to tell you what their problem is, mm. but they'll, they won't often be able to tell you what the solution to their problem is, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be a problem. They would have yeah. already solved it. So it's really hard for someone to articulate, this is the right way to solve the problem that I have. Like, mm. you need to do more than just question them and ask them and interview them, right? You need to actually uh, understand at that initial point them well enough to start. Then you need to be able to test your ideas with them and keep doing that all along the, the way until you, um, you know, until you know that it actually meets their needs. And I think... Um, a lot of the time we we think that, or you know, some of the people that I talk to anyway, we, we understand our, our users well enough at the start and then kind of build the thing based on that initial understanding mm. uh, and don't necessarily remember to just keep applying that um, human-centeredness yeah, right yeah, along yeah. the life cycle of the thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I was talking to a bro this morning actually and he was saying like they're having to pivot their whole model um, four years down the line because actually yeah. it now... That the way that they thought they were meeting the need of, of their users doesn't actually work. Yeah, um, yeah. And and so what, another um, kōrero I have often with, with entrepreneurs, social and, and like for profit only, is that 
figuring out how to test your your initial assumptions yeah. is the most important thing, right? Like yeah. you have that that understanding of your user or your customer or your problem at the start, and then you need to be able to test a small slice because. You know, if, if your next step from there is going, all right, I'm building the thing and we'll, you know, we'll test it when we're finished at the end, like, that's going to fail a lot of the time and you will have invested your heart and soul into that thing. Like, yeah, yeah. based on what you understand of your, your, your user or your problem, what is the smallest thing that you can build to test that your understanding is actually even near, yeah, near, yeah. near the truth? Um, I want to get an example of that, but I also just want to ask, what do you think? What would be like, like, why is human-centered design even a thing? Like, what other types of design are being applied to creating mm. solutions to challenges. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think the only, I think if you're not doing human-centered design, then you're just doing solution-centered design, right? Like mm. you're, you're doing a thing, you're you're building a thing focused on the solution that you think is right, um, yeah. which often just ends up in you building a thing for you. Yeah. Like, you know, you're making the thing that you think uh, you would use to solve a problem, mm. but you're probably not building it for yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and all of us are solving a problem for people in some shape or form, right? Like even our, our whanau, they're doing mahi for, um, you know, for the whenua or doing environmental work. Like most of the time, we're probably doing that because we understand that it's going to affect us in mm. some way. Like we're, you know, that, that's, that's or, or our mokopona, you know, like yeah, that, that's yeah. why we're doing it. So, um, which, you know, we had that super, super interesting kōrero before about like what is human-centered design when you're building something for your mokopona or mm. their mokopona, like you're, when you're talking about intergenerational impact, how do you design something for somebody that isn't born yet? Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, and then all your theory's out the window, yeah, eh? Yeah, like, that's... <laughs> I, I mean, and I don't know how you do How that, can you like. empathise with them? How can you test on yeah. them? You can't. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you can as well, because if you... I guess if you know our people... Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is important to us, and the, as we carry on the tikanga and the values and the knowledge, mm. that there are some things about our mokopuna that we do know... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gets super abstract. Yeah, even, even more abstract. I mean, hey, we're good at that, design, though. Yeah, eh? yeah, like, like, human-centered design isn't that abstract as a ordinarily, yeah. but yeah, once you start going, did you, yeah. Did you do? So, so, how do you reckon um, human-centered design can be applied to someone that say wants to start up an impact project, or mm. or they've got an idea for a new a new clothing brand, or you know, just kind of just a normal everyday kind of idea around something they want to work on, but knowing that human-centered design is something super important. Mm. Um, and will make them more successful mm. in achieving their outcome. What, what's some real simple ways to engage with it? I mean, I guess that um, what I was trying to kind of speak to before in a real vague way was like, you know, that initial understanding that you have of the of the buyers, right? So let's say mm. you're, you're making a clothing line, like really understanding firstly who it is that's gonna that's gonna wear your stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And understanding them well, and that that's you know, actually going and talking to them, that's not going, oh, yeah, it's this kind of person who wears it. Um, yeah, and yeah. they, uh, you know, they value X, Y, and Z. What about when people go, it's for everyone? Well, then you're, uh, it's going to be hard. Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's going to be pretty hard because yeah, yeah. Um, unless you're making plain white uh, tees, um, <laughs> you know. The, the boys up the bush are not going to wear that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, you know, so you, you need to understand who it is and it's yeah, always going to yeah. be, uh, it's, it needs to be specific enough to be usable. Um and once you know who that is, then actually going and understanding what their values are, right? Mm. So, I mean, you know, making personas for those people going, all right, yeah. so, um, and, you know, you, I mean, there's heaps of stuff on, online about how to make personas, but... Yeah, um, make, like, make a, a like a quick example, so, like, you want to make a new um, bush jacket. Yep. Yeah, who would so be a persona? Go yeah, describe so one now. Uh, 
your, your persona would be the bro who uh, um, is out hunting, you know, every weekend. Um, but, you know, you need to understand the subtleties of is he out hunting every weekend and then nine to five he's working at the bank? Or is he out hunting in the weekend and nine to five he's working beside the river planting trees for his marae? Because mm. those are two different user yeah, personas, right? Yeah. Um, so you might go, I want this hunting jacket to actually be, um, it's going to be sweet for his nine to five as well. Flip mm. it around the other way and wear it inside out and it's a suit jacket. Yeah, perfect. Um, or actually, oh, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or actually the bro is working nine to five uh, outside um, planting trees, so yeah. he's going to wear this thing for seven days a week. Mm. You know, that's a whole different thing again. Like, yeah. it needs to be um, convenient enough to, to be able to be worn seven days a week. Yeah. Um, so understand those personas, right? There's, yeah, there's two personas there. Um, and then when you understand those personas, like, the next step really is going, all right, I need to um, define my problem statement again properly based on my understanding mm. of them and my knowledge of them. Uh and then I can start ideating and going, all right, like let's actually build, like, like let's decide, let's figure out how we're going to make a, ja- a jacket yeah, or whatever. Yeah. You might go, actually, the thing for this persona is a hat. You know, mm. he doesn't want a jacket because yeah, yeah. when he's working out on the side of the river, like it's actually real hot mm. and he doesn't want to be wearing a jacket out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so like you've, you've figured out what it is you, you think you should build mm. through that ideation. Um, and then you really need to be out there, proto- like, well, you need fish, you need to prototype it, make something, and then go and test it. Yeah, and, yeah. And so what I was saying before about people looking at that stream of, you know, um, empathising through down, through to testing as being like a, that's, like, when you finish that, then you're building and you're good to go from there. But, Kyle, like, that needs to, that goes on and on and on and on. Like, yeah. you need to keep doing that. Yeah. Um, and getting, even if it's just getting feedback on that, um, on the, the end. Product, yeah, right? there's like, nothing like feedback, eh? Nah, like, honestly. Because if you throw, if you build something and throw it out into the world, even if it worked this year for, for those, for both of those personas, like, mm. next year, like, oh, climate change. Like, you know, it's, it's three degrees hotter. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, actually, these jackets are way too hot. Why yeah. is no one buying my jackets? Yeah, yeah. Because they're too hot. You know, yeah, but you won't know that unless you ask them. Hard out. So you need to keep testing and keep getting that feedback, and yeah. and, and that's what, um, you know, being human. I think being human centered needs to stay on top of your process the whole way through. Mm. Um, it doesn't go okay. We do some human centered design, and then bang into you know the the end half of um of design thinking, and now we're just building it, and then we're into just you know agile, and we just know yeah, how yeah, to yeah, yeah. how to build the right thing. Like building the right thing needs to carry on the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. Um, even four years in, like your mate, eh? Yeah, hard, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's that can be the hardest, like figuring out how to do the testing, I feel for, for a lot of the, the whanau that I speak to, that's often the hardest thing. Because yeah. it has to be a small enough slice that you're not investing, you mm. know, um, going out and getting a bank loan or whatever to put all your eggs in that one basket and then that test goes, oh, no, that's not the one. Yeah. And then, you know, I've, I've spent all my money building that prototype. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever met with... Um the C- current CEO of Vodafone, Jason Paris, or um, interacted with him, but he's a really hard case, and he talks quite often about how he offers himself as a personal customer services officer for anyone that he comes across. He gives his phone number out and everything and cool. says to people, if you have a problem, like call me, text mm. me, I will personally take care of it. And so many people are like, oh, that's ridiculous, that's stupid, he can't do that, that's not sustainable. I think it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Like, he gets face-to-face, like, like, Word of mouth, direct from his customers, what's going wrong mm. and what's going right. Like, that's the most valuable information to yeah, a CEO, yeah. eh? So I crack up at people that look at that and think, oh, he's stupid. I'm yeah. like, nah, he's a genius. Yeah, I that's think mean, that's... That, that's mean from a, his point of view, yeah. from the company's point of view. The only thing... Um, 
that you've got to be careful of with that is that the minute you get a complaint that's come down from the CEO, like the priority of that is like, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Even if it's only a, or actually yeah, like, but a also if it calls you out, yeah, like because yeah, yeah. if yeah. the complaint came from the CEO about you yeah. or your mahi <laughs> yeah. or later, Bolt. Hi. but yeah, you know, yeah. like you've got ten things, ten complaints on the table, yeah, uh, and nine of them are actually super urgent, yeah, and super important for 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 business reasons, yeah. And then you get one that comes from the CEO, um, and I mean I don't know how how he manages it, but like you know you just I'm sure he'd be across this, but you just got to be mindful that that one that you've sent through doesn't go to the top of the list because yeah, yeah. just because you've sent it. Yeah, um, hard Alte. Um, what was I going to ask? Uh, I thought it would be cool to just get a little bit of like, I guess an insight into your job at BNZ mm. and what's it like. Can you tell us that even ab- like what you do, but maybe even about a product that you've worked on that's now on the market or yeah, something yeah. like that? Um, so the, I mean, the, the mahi that I do as a digital product owner is really the kind of the interface between the business and the, the development squad um, mm. while well, that's one of the pieces of it um, so it's, it's kind of up to me to work with the team to figure out the right thing to build next yeah um, and then to work with the team as they build it the right way and, and do you just work on online banking or uh, so yeah internet banking yeah and, internet and mobile banking. And, and on desktop yeah um, oh, so that's why the apps think <laughs> <laughs> that's why the te reo Māori in the app actually yeah um, hey because yeah, of you yeah, yeah. Choice. that's probably the thing so that's um, was actually almost like a my introduction into product ownership so yeah, I, I yeah. was a, um, a digital people leader at the time and then um we did we did, did these things called innovation days like a hackathon where we yeah, come yeah, up with yeah. a code puppet that we think is worthwhile doing um and we try to prove it out like prove out the concept um technically and and customer um value wise and uh so me and a few others did um for that innovation day did te reo maori translations in the app mm. um and so some awesome developers figured out a way to technically do that how we could how we could make it work um yeah, a choice designer was like, we could make it look like this and that. And then we proved out the concept and we um, then spent the next few months kind of actually putting it together. So working with um, uh, with Pitipi Walker and um, some other, um, his his peer review checkers. Mm. Yeah, got him. Huh. Just a little mosquito. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we um, put, that, <laughs> put that into the app uh, back in maybe 2018. Yeah. Probably, um, yeah, and still my 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 proudest uh, achievement at BNZ, I think. So um, it should be. That's awesome. Yeah, and so the the re- I mean the, the majority of my job though is owning like a, a couple of little slices of internet banking, and so it's up to me to make sure that they are um, performing the way they should and meeting the outcomes that they should make uh, that they should meet for the for our customers. Uh, and if they're not, then figuring out the right way to to change that. So that might be just looking at the. You know, looking at reports and the, the metrics and how how people are using um, something like uh, the the term deposit flow on internet banking. You know, figuring out how people are using it and mm. if they're not, if people are getting confused somewhere along the way, then tweaking it and, and making yeah, it less yeah, confusing, yeah. that kind of thing. So that's what the mahi is. Um, yeah, really, I, I really like it. It's um, it's a it's a nice creative problem solving kind of role yeah. alongside really smart people and, and people yeah. who care about their, their mahi so it's, and like it's pretty cool leadership too eh bringing yeah. out the best in your team and, yeah. and it's helping one of those them be productive without authority, you know it's influencing yeah. without authority type leadership which is was for me was actually probably a, a really big the biggest step um, yeah, or the biggest yeah. change because 
for probably the 10 years before that, I'd You're been You're a dictator. In, in, <laughs> yeah, mostly a dictator. Um, you know, a loving dictator. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was in leadership roles for the, for the decade or so before that. And so moving into a um, no no kind of direct leadership, but mm. just influencing the team. Yeah, and, choice. And a, and a, in an indirect way, I definitely cool. like that better, man. Mm. I've never really liked telling people what to do. I think because yeah, yeah. I don't like being told what to do. True. Yeah, so yeah. I think it goes the reverse as well. I'm like, no, just do what you think is best. Yep. But now nah, people need direction, eh? And, and influencing role models and stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, man, I'm sorry that we're going to have to cut this a little bit short because I want to okay. keep keep chatting, <laughs> uh, but we have other commitments and yeah, I want to make so sure we keep that too. But thank you so much, Eho, for, for this corridor, yeah, for your time, you. for coming out on your day off and hanging out with us. It's it's really choice and wish you all the best for your future. If you ever up in, in Tamaki and Manukau, yeah, make sure you come by or, sure. or whatever, pop in and see yeah, what we're up to out there. So. Check, out the, check out the building. Yeah, check out our whare and, and all of our crew. and Yeah, yeah it's man. awesome. It was awesome to cool. meet you. Ka kite. Ka kite.